Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right. I was just going to, um, my sister just texted me a fart video, uh, but I'll save that for myself. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Miranda Popke, who's a writer, editor, and translator from the Italian. She also works at a nonprofit in human services and has lived in Santa Cruz, California, New Haven, Connecticut, Florence, Italy, St. Louis, Missouri, New York, New York, and McAllen, Texas. Right now, she lives in Massachusetts with her husband and dog. Her first novel, Topics of Conversation, was published by Knopf on January 7th, 2020. Welcome. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I am really, truly delighted to be here. Um, and I've just had um, a bunch of like really, really delicious gummy candy. So <laughs> I'm riding sugar high. I'm so excited that you're here. Alex was texting me that he was reading your book and he wanted you to come on. And I checked my library to see if they had a copy and they just happened to have a copy, which felt like fate. And I ran to get it. And I inhaled your book. And, um, and like I said, I told you earlier today that I had to go out and get my own copy from the bookstore because I, I just want to be able to have it. I just want to be able to open it and look at it from time to time. So thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited. Um, I already said this in an email, but that is like, like writer to writer, owner of many books to I'm sure owner of many books. The Too highest books. compliment is when... <laughs> is when you go out and you're like, okay, no, I got it. I got to do it. I got to add, I got to add to the collection. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't be wondering like, now what was that line? I have to be able to go and find it. So, so now it's right here, safe next to me and I feel, feel better. Um, but now you're going to have to read to us. Okay. Perfect. Um, this is a short story. I don't, I don't really write short stories. I, I came out of an MFA program, which is of course sort of works best in, in a lot of cases if what you are bringing to workshop are short stories. Mm. Um, it, can get, it can get sort of difficult if you're bringing in like novel chapters because then a lot of the feedback that you get will be like related to stuff that maybe is in the novel, but is not in that chapter anyway. But 
one of the struggles I had in my MFA programs that I just don't really write short stories. Um, mm. I mean, one of the struggles I had in my MFA programs, I didn't really write fiction before I started oh, program. So that was, okay. um, a rude, that was a rude awakening. I <laughs> 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 forced myself right into, um, but at a certain point, um, I'm going to say like 18 months ago, but probably more like, no, probably more like two years ago. Um, I started, thinking about form in, in a way that I was interested in pursuing. Um, and I wrote a couple short stories that are, are sort of about, uh, they're about plot more than they are like engines of, of plot, if that makes sense. Ooh, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit from the beginning of this, of this short story that is called um, romantic comedy in which I wrote a first draft of that was very, very, very different when I was in the program. Mm. And uh, again, I have not opened this document since March 3rd, uh, or excuse me, March 6th of 2020. So don't know if it's any good, um, <laughs> but I guess- if We're all gonna get, find out together. Yeah, you get a lot of one-star reviews uh, <laughs> that specifically reference this piece. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we begin with a child, pink and slick and mewling. We begin with a girl, just born. Now picture her aging, picture her learning, picture her growing, picture her legs longer now, her hips wider now, her breasts. Yes, these are growing too. We're giving you permission. You are thinking of those breasts already. Now you may admit as much. Here she is, still a child, at lunchtime on the playground. At what point does a child become a girl? A question for another day. An afternoon otherwise unremarkable, a swarm of classmates fleeing her like moths drawn to a faraway flame. She herself then is not flame, no matter the hot flush that creeps up her cheeks. She herself, inside her chest, a clutch of rocks. Soon they will be worn smooth with worrying. But this is too boring to warrant comment. What everyone experiences is not universal. It is cliche. Speaking of cliches, the girl watches TV. Here it becomes important that the girl is in fact a girl and not a boy. Television teaches her plot. Hardly the only teacher of plot television. Her parents telling her to do something and her not doing it and them punishing her. They mean to teach morality. Morality is a plot whose ending has been spoiled. Children of course refuse morality. Children are born without morals and do not relish the prospect of acquiring them. But cause and effect, action and consequence, the line that connects the two, the line which may be straight or which may be bent to the shape of an ego, a self-justification, a desire more or less criminal, these the girl retains. The mystery of the moth-like children, the ontological origins of her sudden status as an exile, her investigations into these phenomena take the shape of a story. But at times it is difficult, it is not, even we can admit this, to put one's finger on the proper plot point. So much happening every day, even when one says, and truthfully, nothing much to the question, what's happening? Not a question anyone would ask, not in those words. These are the events that color, the, there are the events that color the interior landscape, the pressure of the bladder, not quite painful enough to address, the pleasure in delaying the moment of address, the pad of the thumb, absently caressing a cut, shallow, healed over, 
paler than the, and snatches of through the thinking, quelqu'un m'indique to thinking, je vais et je viens entre te, are you with me now? The A of R held out a tick longer than, and then after the now, there's a little, is it drums or does it immediately, we can't fence sitting, something about an aesthetic ideal, only he didn't spell it with a leading A, and then that was just the convention, or have we all this time been, just for example. But so television helps. 22, 43 minutes of activity, purposive and related. The characters, of course, not our girl's own. Matters how that she's a girl? Well, think who created the show, man, who wrote the show, man, who directed the show, man, who is the hero, man. Think about the best lines going to man. Think about the end of the show, who is getting the girl? Of course it is man. And this is assuming she is white, assuming her family is doing, you know, at least okay financially, because otherwise there would also be to think through across white man through across rich white man. Also because this author is white and okay financially, and the story is not about the universal, which does not exist except as a cliche, it is about the imagined universal infecting the particular individual. Not assuming she is straight. Assume though that she is straight enough that episode after episode of who is getting the girl, of course it is man is enough to convince her so that she settles in, so that she decides that of all the questions, well, if we can consider this one solved, why wouldn't we much easier, don't you think? Save so much time. All right, I'm gonna stop there. Wow. <laughs> I I could wow. see some of the, um, some of what's in topics of conversation in that, you know, like you have this ear for like bits of dialogue and, um, and just like how people talk and just um, like how you talk to yourself or how you expect a narrator to talk. I don't know. I, I loved it. I was delighted that you started with form and that it was so central to the piece you read Miranda, because a lot of the things I want to ask you about the novel have to do with form. And I, is that something that you typically start with, or was this kind of a different starting place for this short fiction project that you said you were thinking about some months back? Yeah, I don't, the thing, the thing that is true about me is that I do not have one of those really sort of capacious imaginations that I think some fiction writers do have. Some people do have, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that, that guy at the party who has like a really, re like a real knack for telling a story mm -hmm. or you know, you encounter these people in your life and then you encounter these these authors who have just brains for what happened next and what happened next and what happened next. Mm -hmm. I do not have a brain for that. Mm -hmm. So I need to sort of think of how I'm going to get from the beginning to the end of a thing. And I need to to have that sort of structure to hang an idea on. And I think most of my writing is about an idea that a person has mm. rather than about a series of things that happen to them. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. I, I have, I have a, much, uh, a much closer idea of what you're describing to start a piece of fiction than the guy at the party who's going to regale you with the story or, or someone who really can say, all right. And then this, and then this, that, that to me is totally foreign as a, as a way to get into a piece of fiction. So I, I completely can relate to that. Is that, is that the kind of uh, fiction that you prefer to read as well, Miranda, or? I think of myself as having a pretty omnivorous diet mm. as a reader. Mm -hmm. 
and certainly like, you know, actually it's funny. Um, I, I actually have a lot of trouble with books that are pure formal experiments. Mm. Um, and that, that books that really, really fuck with like the, our understanding of character. Mm-hmm. I, I find, I find those really like sometimes really, really difficult to get into. Um, and I love, like, I love a really plotty writer like Iris Murdoch, mm-hmm. where it's just like <laughs> one ridiculous thing after the next <laughs> is happening. Um, I, I remember actually reading, like, maybe it was a fairly, no, it, maybe it was a fairly honorable defeat. No, I think it was under the net. And it, it doesn't matter. The point is that this character is, is um, trying to, he's trying to find an excuse to go back to this woman's house, but he's saying that he doesn't want to go back to this woman's house. So he, the excuse that he makes up for himself is he pretends that he needs to get a book back from her, <laughs> even though he's like, well, yes, I could go to the library, but actually I couldn't for like this BS reason. He's like, I'm going to a bookstore, but actually I couldn't for this other BS reason. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I do love really deeply plotty writers, but it's not, it's just not a skill I have. Mm-hmm. I can't, like, I can't do 30 pages of, like, people at a party. I've got, like, three paragraphs max, and then I'm out of things that could happen to someone at a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you find it tedious in a way, right? That's not what interests you about uh, about writing fiction. Yeah, and I don't find it tedious uh, reading it. Right, I, exactly, but writing it feels... I can only write it I can only write it to the point, I, I literally, when I think about writing the the kind of sort of the, the padding that goes into the middle of, and I don't mean padding in a negative way, just like all of the stuff, the plot stuff that makes up, I think, a lot of, not just contemporary novels, but when you think about like, I don't know, House of Mirth is like 19th century, or I guess House of Mirth is technically 20th century, but whatever. Um, when I think about trying to write those things, I like, I can just picture myself, my head just sort of falling towards my computer. <laughs> as I like fall <laughs> Well, that is what's stripped out of your novel, Miranda. I mean, in, in one way, I think the most thrilling thing about Topics of Conversation is chapter to chapter, the maybe six sentence kind of reorientation as a reader where you start to get your feet a little bit and understand the relationship to what has come before and try and get your bearings on what is going to come. Not that disorientation seems to be what you're after, but just the fact that it's so thrilling to be thrown into two new locations. I mean, it's just as a reader, I, I, I love that kind of thing. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, I did really with this book, just only write the parts that felt really exciting to me hmm. and everything else just got taken out or was never written there's not a lot of stuff that I left on the you know proverbial cutting room floor um, because I just couldn't make myself write it when did you have a sense of the overall shape of this novel I was I was interested if you kind of had a sense of the way these chapters were going to be chained together or if you had a sense early on of the overall shape or if it was something where you were putting, if you were drafting and kind of were piecing together as you were going. Yeah. So I was not originally writing this as a novel. Um, I wrote the first two pieces I wrote were 
like um, uh, a two-part short story. And the first part was the, the museum um, in San Francisco, that piece. And then the second part was um, when the narrator and her friend go hiking in Griffith Park mm-hmm. um, in Los Angeles. So I had those two and I brought them to workshop and um, I got like a pretty positive response, which was surprising because nothing that I had been writing, this was the first semester of my second year, nothing that I had been writing was generating. Everyone was really, I didn't have any of those like super traumatic workshop experiences that I think a lot of people have Mm -hmm. um, where their work just gets torn apart and they feel as if their very soul um, has been like expelled from their body. the program was really was like a really kind nurturing supportive program but like you can always tell when people are like oh I really really liked um that choice you made on like <laughs> like you can just tell when people are being or, yeah yeah and it's like I was getting I was getting a lot of like like n- nice questions and like friendly <laughs> comments oh and it was, it was just like nothing that I was writing had any life to it. Did you feel that as you were writing it? Did you feel like you were kind of just going through the motions? Like you weren't tapping into what you were interested in? Or was it something that you actually <laughs> felt good about? No, I know. I mean, I really never, it's really hard for me to feel good about a piece of writing. Mm. Um, but I would definitely be bringing these pieces to a workshop and, and thinking to myself like, all right, like, I know that this sort of isn't it, but maybe someone will say something that will help me figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think actually one of the keys was I brought this, I was doing another sort of like formally experimental thing. I had this problem that was, I mean, probably, it was probably a, a combination of like the antidepressants I was on and like the amount of drinking I was doing, although I don't remember I, I don't think this was like one of the semesters in grad school when I was just like, like chugging beers at all times. But <laughs> I, it was the, the second semester of my first year. I just developed this problem where I was sleeping all of the time. I felt like I had narcolepsy. Oh my gosh. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't like, I wouldn't like wake up and be like, where the hell am I? But I would, I would be just absolutely unable to stay awake. And it was, it was weird and, and a little bit scary. It felt like, it felt like my body was addicted to sleep in a way that I had absolutely no control over. Wow. So I tried to write a little short story about that, um, about a woman who just keeps falling asleep. And I thought that, I thought that it was powered by this like profound sadness and this profound anger um, about this thing that was happening to my body that I didn't understand. And I think the only thing that sort of hit were the jokes. And I was like, okay, no one can read the anger in this and no one can read the like profound sadness in this. And that means that I just like, I haven't gone deep enough. Like I'm still at the level of like doing a little tap dance on the surface Mm -hmm. to distract from the stuff going on underneath. So then it was summer. Um, I went back to California, which is where I'm from uh spent like you know six weeks working on this really really bad novel that I eventually had to put aside and that was like literally causing me to nap 
like <laughs> my computer. <laughs> um, and then, like, came back in the fall and and put this put this like two part short story together. And a lot of the conversation in workshop was like, is this in fact a two part short story or are these two separate short stories? Um, and then Ben Marcus came because we we would always have a visiting. We would have one visiting professor who would like read our work every semester and then one a, a second writer would come and just do a reading hmm. um and ben marcus was the was the one who was coming to read our work um and this was at washington university yeah yeah washington university in st louis okay. um which washington university in in state of washington has a mfa program too um that's not the one i went to though um or university of washington um so I very quickly, I wanted to show him something that was, that I felt good about, but that wasn't, hadn't been like already workshopped to death. So I had those two pieces and then I was like, maybe actually the reason it wasn't feeling like a complete short story is that there wasn't, um, you know, there's something missing. So then I, I sort of really, really quickly in like a, a feverish, like couple of days wrote the Ann Arbor section. Oh, wow. and I, put the Ann Arbor section between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And I brought that to him. And uh, this was, so this was the fall of 2017. So it was like, it was peak. You would wake up in the morning and there would be some new horrible story yeah. about how some man had sexually harassed someone oh or like, it was, it was really bad. <laughs> um, and I remember walking to, uh, they, they put the visiting writer who, who stays for a week and like reads the student's work. They, they put him in, um, uh, they put him in, in this like really lovely apartment, um, quite close to campus. Um, so I was running late as always. And like, I was feeling very grim and like, whatever. I was basically like, I don't like, I'm sure that this won't be helpful. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's going to hate this and it's not, it's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. My husband dropped me off. I like was walking down the block to the apartment and I was like, well, I have 30 seconds of spare time. Like I cannot possibly be alone with my brain. So I was like looking at Twitter and like at that moment, it was like, oh, uh, here's some photographs of Al Franken, like just being a total dick. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I like ring the doorbell and, and Marcus, he's a really lovely man. And we had a really, really lovely meeting and he was so encouraging. And he basically said, like, he asked me if it was a novel and I said, no. And he's like, I think it should be. And that's, that's how it, that's how it started. Wow. Um, just like that, that, but the first thing I said to him, he like opens the door and he says, hello. And I just <laughs> said, um, well, Al Frank's, Franken's a sex criminal. <laughs> 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 um, and then we had this like we had this like funny back and forth um where that ended when I was like I feel like I need to ask every man that I meet like have you raped anyone recently when I first meet them <laughs> oh my god and then I said nothing because I was like oh god I know what the follow-up joke to this is and I'm not gonna make it because that would be terrible <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> anyway, then we had a really lovely meeting and um, he told me to read Miranda July's The First Bad Man, which I did read and loved. And he told me to read Thomas Bernhard and I got 
one of Thomas Bernhardt's book, books out from the library and was like, this is one single paragraph. No, thank you. And like, could not ever <laughs> read it. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> um, but he basically told me like, what if this were a novel? And I was like, oh, okay. I just have to do this like maybe seven more times. And, and that's, that's, that's how the structure sort of evolved. I mean, I guess, thank you. Thank you, Al Franken really is, That's is what right. story is about. Man, I can't believe his name didn't appear in the back in your um, works cited or acknowledgements or works not cited. I know, I guess I really, man, do I owe Al Franken an apology? <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love those sections, um, the works not cited uh, especially um, because it was fun to go back through the book and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, like, and to sort of feel like you were even more part of the conversation based on what you were processing or thinking about as you were writing these things. And it also made the book feel like, um, like not cyclical, but, but almost like ongoing and the conversation is like still happening. Um, it made the it book feel, feel like alive. of the world. Yeah. yeah. Like it didn't feel like it, it didn't, it definitely doesn't feel like a traditional novel, you know, like it feels, it, it feels like a conversation. Um, and, and getting to the back and seeing those works not cited and those um, almost like, it almost just felt like you were like, come on, you're part of this too. You know, like it just, it was a really cool feeling. We have, um, we have videos off that you can't tell, but I'm like, smiling and nodding as you say. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Miranda, how close were, so the first three that you handed to Ben that day, were those pretty close to what are in the book? Because it's the same order in the actual published finished book, right? I mean, that's pretty wild that you, what you ended up handing in, I mean, made it to distance. That's crazy. So the, so originally the, the, um, Ann Arbor part was sandwiched between them and Ann oh, okay. Arbor, yeah Ann Arbor's the second conversation happens before the other two but so you didn't yeah. have the Italian section to start is that the deal yeah I wrote okay. that no I wrote that much later and I wrote that as it was funny I I realized now like I started this conversation being like well you sort of have to write short stories in your MFA like you can't um you can't just bring chapters of your novel but like because I was writing this novel and because each of the chapters sort of do have to stand alone, mm -hmm. I was able to game the system. <laughs> and so like, yeah, one of my, one of the stories that I workshopped was that, that first section, the Italian section, although it did, it did sort of have more of the shape of a short story um, when I, when I brought it in, but yeah, the, the, of those three first pieces that I wrote, the San Francisco section at the museum and then the Los Angeles section in Griffith, Griffith Park and then the um, uh, the Ann Arbor section, what became the Ann Arbor section. The real, I mean, I made, I made slight changes to all of them. Um, I think Los Angeles is probably the one that, that looks the most similar to my first sort of finished draft um, and and the the museum one is the one that looks the most looks the most different. I had to figure. I had to really work on what 
what that friendship relationship was Mm -hmm. um because it's not you know the uh the narrator does not really like any of her friends um, (laughs) because she like hates herself and so anyone who could stand to be with her is also like some is also someone to be loathed Mm -hmm. to a certain extent um but I had a really hard time calibrating like what is the quality of this dysfunctional relationship versus what is the quality of these other dysfunctional relationships and I also had to like think really hard about this this like art that they were seeing (laughs) and like how 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 did I want it to read how how much of it did I want it want to be like a little a little too much a little like parody of performance art (laughs) how much did I want it to be like an actual potential piece of art that you would go to a museum to see and be like huh okay interesting well it's funny because they both like it is you know at the end they sort of make fun of the title of the of the installation or whatever but but they do it's there like there there's you know something to be learned from from the the artwork that they are just deciding to brush aside right at that moment in their lives they're just deciding to be like eh <laughs> you know like um this is this is a little bit overboard or this is silly um even as like us as the reader we kind of can see oh there's actually something here for you you know if you look yeah i think the the piece that is the most or the like the 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 piece that feels to me the the most powerful for the narrator is also the piece that like I think probably could not exist in a museum which is that last piece mm-hmm. where they have to like get into bathing suits and then like swim to oh, the, yeah. the pool mm-hmm. um, I sort of love the idea of that being a way that you could experience art and I think that there's a moment the narrator has where she's like she really wants to, she's, she's, she is literally reaching for a connection and, and then she pulls back. And that's like, you know, I think, I think one thing you could say is that, 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 that move that I make is, um, uh, is a little like the, like the metaphor is a little heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, it didn't read that way to me. I no, have to say it, it didn't. I no. think the I think that happens in life, right? Like I think sometimes it just happens. Um, and there's so much in that chapter that is fucking hilarious that you're not really. It doesn't. None of it reads as heavy-handed. The bar in that chapter, where <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I fucking I like put the book down. I was like, fuck, I'm jealous of that. That is good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just you're. I feel like you're kind of laughing and trying to parse what like you were saying, Miranda, is this real? Like, is this something that she completely invented? And, and, you know, it seems like all of it could kind of fall into all the categories you named. Like, so yeah, no, it does not read that way. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I am glad to hear that. Um, I do think museums should have bars. Yes, Um, of course. (laughs) And I do, I do think that there's like, 
I really love being in the water. I find being in water to be like one of the most soothing, one of the most soothing experiences. And so I think I like, I just couldn't write that last part where she like gets in the pool and she's swimming to the bottom and she's looking at this image of this artist who's saying something in a language that she can't understand. Um, I think that there's, there's, there's just no way for me to write that scene without acknowledging like the physical experience that would have a certain kind of power over me if I were in that situation. I love that you're saying that because um, I I feel like more and more I'm, I'm trying to accept those things in my writing. I'm trying to accept like the moments where I am a part of it, not just my characters or my whatever I'm doing to the book. Um, because for a long time, it felt like um, like something I wasn't allowed to do or I don't know, like it's something you're supposed to hide or I don't know. Um, so I love that you're just talking about how water is important to you and thus you had to, you had to write it like this in the novel. Yeah. My, my sort of line on, and I was like, I didn't during, like when I was doing interviews for this book, I, I didn't really get any questions, the exception of one man from my, like, <laughs> from my like hometown, <laughs> like all weekly, um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, and so their all weekly is called the Good Times. Oh. <laughs> and it didn't like it didn't register as like obviously a joke until I was way too old, um, <laughs> way past the age when I should have when I should have understood that. Anyway, like yeah, that guy who interviewed me like asked the question about like oh well this seems like is this based on your life? Um, oh, always right, yeah, but. But my line, because I sort of was expecting it, and the line that I had was, you know, actually, surprisingly, like, to myself, this book does not contain events that happen to me or anyone I know, really. There's, like, there's, like, a story that I heard, like, second or third hand about my step-grandfather's childhood that's, like, sort of sneakily in there, but, like, not really, and barely and so none of the stuff that happens in the book to any of the women happened to me in in the ways that I describe um but all the feelings are mine mm. like every, that's a great every, way of putting it every disgusting feeling in the book it's like I I've I've had all of them mm-hmm. so that that sort of like bodily experience of being in water that's one of the places where I feel like I'm allowed to put myself in there Mm. because it's not about a specific time that I went swimming it's just like about being a body in the water and I think that I I'm I'm maybe more capable of writing someone whose consciousness is like profoundly different from my own Mm. now maybe we'll see but certainly when I was writing this novel I I was not I was projecting a consciousness that was familiar to me into different situations and into different people. But I wasn't like, maybe I'm just, I'm just not a good enough writer. I don't have a capacious enough imagination to like write someone who really hates being in the water. (laughs) (laughs) That's sacrilege. Never. It's funny Um, what you just said, Miranda, because I think a lot of that comes out in the book and that it doesn't, if you just handed it to someone and it didn't have any of the jacket copy, it doesn't read like a first novel. And I don't mean just cause it's good. I just mean like, it doesn't feel like a debut to me. 
And I think some of it is because the way it opens, there's a confidence to, okay, dialogue without quotation marks. It sounds so silly, but something like that to open a day, like in a first chapter of a debut novel, huge paragraphs. I just feel like little things like that, which sounds so silly when you say out loud, but it just doesn't feel like a debut to me. I don't know. It, I don't know if you'd thought about that or if anyone had, I don't, there's no question here. I'm just saying things. I think it goes along with like Miranda, what you've been saying of like, I, I can't write like X, Y, Z and I don't enjoy doing X, Y, Z. And I, you know, I, and, and I think we all struggle with like, I know I'm supposed to write like this, but I just can't, you know? And, right. and it feels like you were just writing something that you could write and that you wanted to write. And then you had the audacity to offer it up for publishing, you know, like it, it's, it's like you, you know, it's wholly your voice, right? Yeah, I think I, I mean, first of all, Alex, thank you. That's I'm very complimented by um, what you said about the sort of confidence. I mean, I think if I don't come like with a piece of writing, if I don't come charging in the door, like on my horse with like both of my pistols in, in my holsters <laughs> and just like right up to the bar and say like, get me a drink bartender. Sorry, I just scared my dog. <laughs> my dog who's like napping on his giant bed, just like looking at me like, what are you doing, mom? <laughs> oh. Um. But if I don't write with that confidence, like I will not write a darn thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I will, I will, or if I do, if I manage to get some like, like watery oatmeal on the page, <laughs> like, if I, if like Oliver Twist comes into the bar and it's like, please, sir, may I have some cool? <laughs> like if, if that's what's happening on the page, I'm like, gotta get out of here. Like, yeah. I'm I just like I want to throw I want to throw my computer into a ravine because mm -hmm. it's so embarrassing to oh I'm just having this like revelation as I say this I hate being bad at things so like <laughs> I have to oh, charge yeah. in as if I know what I'm doing or it's it's obvious that I'm like I'm just like so uncertain and then in the net vulnerability like grosses me out and I have to like you know, throw my computer into a ravine and move to a different state and change mm -hmm. my name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you an Aries? No, my husband is. Oh, okay. Uh, You're Aries adjacent. It's an Aries. I'm a Leo. Okay. Now that makes sense too. Fire signs. Yeah. Um, um the Norman Mailer chapter, that's all I'm going to say. Just everyone oh needs to read this book and, and get to the Norman Mailer chapter. Uh, I read the executioner song. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what you said you had never written fiction until you started going to grad school to study fiction. Why? Why? Tell me about that. So that's not that's not strictly, strictly true. Um, I think I think I wrote fiction very easily as a child. Mm -hmm. um, when I was very, very young, I have a quite distinct memory of this. I, um, I would, I didn't know how to write yet, but I would think of stories in my head 
and then I would make marks on paper and I was like I'll look at these marks later and I'll know what what the- about. <laughs> <laughs> I like reinvented the concept of writing <laughs> your own like glyphs <laughs> oh my god um and then I also remember having like like reopening the notebook and being like I don't know what any of these <laughs> oh my god. it was that confidence again yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do my own language today that's fine um Jesus. but I can remember like even as early as being in like sixth grade like just feeling horrible self-consciousness mm-hmm. just feeling like and I, I do feel this still, that it's so much easier to show your ass in fiction than it is in nonfiction. Oh, wow. Because in nonfiction, you control, you're like, you're in control, at least theoretically, if you're doing it, if you're doing it well, if you're competent, you're in control of what the reader is learning about you. And in fiction, it's like, it's just your, your unconscious is just like poking out everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that writing sex scenes is so hard because there's no way for a reader to not read a sex scene and be like, hmm. Like, you're a freak. Yeah. <laughs> or you're not a freak at all. Yeah. Or like, have you ever had sex? <laughs> like, I remember at some point, um, uh, like poking around the Harry Potter fan fiction forums. I was never like deep into fan fiction, but like I can remember reading a Hermione Snape fic, which like, I mean, of course, like that would be my deal. Like, how can I, <laughs> I, I can't be anyone other than myself. Um, but, and this was when I was like, mm, I want to say like 19 or something. I was in college and I was like, what's, what's, what's the deal with fan fiction? Like, let me see what's going on here. And there was this Hermione Snape fic that I read and they get married and they're having sex on their wedding night. And like, Snape's like, it's okay. Like what's going to happen is you're going to feel like you need to pee, but that's oh my not, gosh. you don't actually need to. And I was like, oh my God, a 14 year old wrote this and she oh. really never had sex. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I remember reading a book when I was a kid that was about like mommy and daddy, when they love each other very much, they come together and it was like, show their naked, hairy body bodies. And then it would, it said that in the book, it was like, and then, you know, the mommy experiences this feeling that feels like a sneeze down there or like she has to pee. So maybe that person read the same book that I read. Yeah, definitely. Their experience with sex was like notional. Yes actual (laughs) but but I think that that's always a fear that I like I think when you're whenever I'm writing a sex scene I have that thought where I'm like (laughs) what if I'm the person who's writing the scene (laughs) like you're gonna think you need to pee but you don't (laughs) (laughs) or it's like that sex scene in the room you know that movie the room where Tommy Wiseau is like thrusting into the woman's like abdomen (laughs) it's like oh no I don't think he's ever had sex (laughs) like you don't have a belly button that's not that's not no 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 (laughs) we learn we live we learn okay but but anyway what got you to oh right we were talking about writing yes not not just talking about we've all had sex okay everyone 
like a lot okay Hello, let's just move fellow on teens. <laughs> yes how do uh, you do fellow kids exactly um yeah so I stopped writing fiction uh because it was just it was too it was like too in my head about it mm-hmm. it it is already very hard for me to exist in the world and like commit to speech acts and like the idea of doing that on the page was just like no 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 um but I did I I I did want to write it's like the thing that I've always known I could known I could do um and I think actually I think my life would have been very different like I don't think I would have become a writer or a reader if those things hadn't come very easily to me because as I said I really really hate being bad at things like mm-hmm. I took piano for many years and I was terrible at it and as a result I just like wouldn't practice and it was a, a real a real little self-fulfilling um, prophecy yeah yeah <laughs> um but when I got to when I when I was in high school it was mostly like I was right. I was writing some. I was writing some papers for AP English that I thought were really setting the world on fire. <laughs> um, and then um, when I got to college, I started writing for the um, the weekly newspaper, just like movie reviews and stuff. Um, and then I fell in love with a boy, <laughs> and he was taking poetry classes. And I was like, okay, like. I know how I'm going to impress this guy. I'm going to take some poetry classes. Um, and Louise Glick teaches still, I think, at Yale, um, which is where I went to undergrad. And Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, I got into her poetry class. God knows oh my how. Gosh, what? <laughs> yeah, she teaches. Um, You're burying the lead here. <laughs> she teaches un- She teaches undergrads and she's um, she's like, she really loves it. Wow. As, yeah, as far as I can tell. Um, but I got into the I got into her poetry class, and I was not I was not very good at writing poetry, but I was I was sort of I was sort of okay at talking about it, and that was I think that was the point at which I was like, okay, you're not ever going to be a writer, but like maybe you should be an editor, like maybe you should work in publishing because you can certainly tell, like you 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 seem to have a sense of like when things are working. Um, and what ended up happening is that I was working at FSG, what? Um, which used to be your old publisher, which is, is your publisher. Is your publisher? Lindsay, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know Miranda was there. Oh. Miranda, oh, did yeah. we ever talk? Um, no, I, I mean, I know Emily, um, your editor, your editor who, who is now at Zando. Yeah. Um, we used to have offices right next to each other, actually. What the hell, um, man? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, FSG. It was a long time ago. It was a totally different, totally different part of my life. But um, so after, after college, I like moved to South Texas for a year and taught. And then that profoundly did not work out. And then I moved to New York and I ended up getting a job at FSG as um, the publisher's assistant. And one of his authors was Louise Glick. And so like at a certain point, I think we were putting her collected together. This would have been 2012, I think, 2011, 2012. Anyway, we reconnected um, and she was really like lovely and encouraging. 
when I would, I, I would sometimes sort of talk to her about the fact that like, mm, it didn't seem like I was going to be able to stay in publishing forever. It didn't seem like it was the right fit. It like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't good at the things that you need to be good at besides editing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause so much of, of being good at publishing is like networking and like seeking out new authors. And I was like, I just, I wasn't good at any of that. And I, I, I don't think I had a good sense either of like what the market wanted. So I was like, I was neither finding the time to do the work that you have to do where you like, you know, you're reading small press books and you're reading the literary magazines and you're like, you know, emailing with agents and being like, send me your freshest writers. Um, and I also wasn't good at being like, ah, yes, this is going to be a hit. So I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, and she was like, have you thought about writing fiction? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, and she was, she was, she is, it's such a generous, I, I, yeah, I, I, I truly would not have a career if she had not encouraged me to write and asked to see my writing and basically said, like, you're not like you're you're good at this. Like, there's good stuff in here. You should apply to an MFA program. Wow. Jesus. Did she write you a letter of rec? Yeah, she did. Oh my god! So every program was like, "Yep." <laughs> I only applied to four, and I only got into one. So oh. amazing. So with that, I mean, with those years at FSG happening before you were in the MFA program, did it color your experience in a way that was like distracting? I mean, were you reading student work and being like, "No fucking way," or I mean, like, I just I feel like and that would be so. Yeah, and like when bizarre. you were writing, when you were writing, were you thinking like, "I want to write something marketable"? Right. I think the nice thing about working at FSG is that their whole thing is like we publish quality. We don't we don't publish the most marketable thing. Um. So I had definitely been part of, and I had seen a lot of weird stuff get published I don't are you about- subtweeting me <laughs> <laughs> uh i think a lot of good stuff come up by Lindsay Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no but i i'd seen like people were allowed to take chances like i was at fsg when emily was like building her list mm-hmm. of um like you and Laura Vandenberg and um, Amelia Gray, Mm -hmm. just like- Crushers. Yeah, just like, just like stuff, like, like women who were writing, who were writing things that were not, um, you know, maybe not like necessarily marketable in a way that every, that like was instantly recognizable, but like, were obviously marketable because like they were, it was just like really good writing. Mm. And like, there was like a, like, there was like a real hunger for that. And I don't know, I, I, I really admire, um, Emily had, has really, really great taste and really um, a, an ability to like see, sort of see where the conversation is going 
like up like a second before the conversation or like a minute before the conversation gets there so she's like snapping up these um these like exciting young writers before like a bigger house is mm-hmm. going to be able to recognize that like in fact like this is talent that they want to nurture mm-hmm. um I feel like they're going to make a documentary about her one day I always I look forward to to my two minutes in her documentary <laughs> um yeah I look forward to my uh, 30 seconds that <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah so I and one that one thing that is nice and also has a downside I'm, it's it's always both one thing that is that is both good and bad about WashU is that like publishing is not part of the conversation like it the three so the, the three main writers who teach in the fiction department are Catherine Davis um, Danielle Dutton and Marshall Klimashevsky and none of them write like normal ass novels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Catherine Davis wrote, um, oh God, duplex. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, that, that novel is, I, I read that novel before I went to wash you and I was like, oh, I'm scared. Like, <laughs> I don't know what like 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 she's clearly her mind doesn't work like plot wise the way that like um that like uh you know Charles Dickens mind worked plot wise Mm -hmm. but like capacious imagination like like a sorcerer marries a woman and they have a child who's a teddy bear like sure (laughs) It's like one of the characters is a needle. <laughs> like, oh my god! Yeah, it's, it's. I have a lot of trouble sometimes with science fiction because um, it, it's it's hard for a writer to get me on board with world building mm-hmm. unless the writing is really exciting and it, it's sort of those two things work at cross purposes. And one of the things that I love about Duplex is that it's like world building. No, we assume you know what's going on in this world. We're a sorcerer <laughs> and a, a normal wo- like a, a human woman have a teddy bear for a child. There are no rules, except you know that there are rules in Catherine Davis's mind. And you're just like, I, I'm in good hands. Like this baseball player is now getting transported to heaven on a wave like fine. <laughs> yeah I love books that that have their own rules and you just kind of you learn the rules of the book as you go that's my fave yeah but I haven't Gosh. read duplex but now I really want to read it it's yeah it's um it's like a different space to be in I would <laughs> I would really recommend it each of her novels is completely different I've only read three three of them but each of the ones that I've read is totally different from both every other book that I've read and also from every other one of her books that's amazing it's what high praise I can't think of higher praise honestly I like I don't know how she does it and she's also like a very generous workshop leader and really nice wow yeah I'm sold she's a triple threat triple threat good writer nice good workshop leader um, I used to dog sit for her. Uh, Terrible when, dog. No, amazing dog. Just amazing like dog. An enormous Malamute named Lou. Oh, oh my god. Miranda, speaking of dogs, do you, does your dog have a voice? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh yeah. Can I talk to your dog? <laughs> yeah, you can talk to my dog, Lindsay. What's your dog's name? His name is Dudley. Dudley. 
Hey, Lindsay. <laughs> What's going on with you? I'm glad you asked me to be part of this interview because I really want to be part of things. <laughs> Dudley, what kind of dog are you? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. Dudley, how old are you? People think I'm a puppy. <laughs> but I'm actually three years old. Oh, my God. Dudley, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. No problem. <laughs> I'll let you get back to your big bed. Thank you. I Again, I really enjoyed being a part of it. <laughs> The jokes that my husband and I have is that like Dudley's only desire is to constantly be part of things because in fact that is his behavior like this has gotten a little bit better but like when he was younger Will and I would like if we were touching Dudley would be like hi 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 I'm in I'm in I'm in here yes I'm in here also hello did you have you seen have you seen me have you seen me And the voice that we do is um is basically is basically the voice of this like delightful redheaded child um, who's interviewed on like local news in like Philly or New Jersey somewhere. If there's a video on YouTube, you should Google like child uh, apparently local news like roller coaster because it's, it's this adorable kid who's just like apparently i really love the roller coaster <laughs> like just learned the word apparently and he has to say it at all times oh <laughs> i had a professor who said those kinds of things are crucial to your creativity and to like listen to the to the um the inspiration that you're you know, these things bring to you this silliness or this, like, um, this playfulness, because all my dogs that have always had voices. And, um, and I really think that's true. I really feel like it's a freeing, it's a freeing thing. Like you can sort of like channel certain things through it. Ben always said, my husband, Ben always says that, like, I work out my frustrations through our dog, Wanda. (laughs) And how she talks, but it is, it really, it's, it's inspiring. Um, does, does Wanda want to come on the pod? Oh, she's so busy right now. (laughs) (laughs) She's asleep upstairs. I'm asleep right now. (laughs) Alex, can you do your dog's voice? No. Takes too many pills. He's too drugged up. (laughs) That would be so fun to do a voice for a drugged up dog though. You're really missing out. Well, you gotta let me take the pills and I can have some fun with it. Okay, good. Sounds good. Oh, man. Um, wait, Alex, this is maybe not a question for like airing, but <laughs> does Ruby, your child slash grandmother, have a voice? <laughs> oh, very much so, yes. I mean, you I mean, you've obviously heard her voice just by seeing the pictures. It's uh, you know, I don't know, just think like Czech Bohemian grandma, slightly disapproving, wishes the kids were better. That's the voice. <laughs> Has Alex told you that I have this theory that his his youngest daughter Ruby is like just looks like she's older and wiser than everyone that she's ever been in a photograph with specifically her specifically her father (laughs) the second kids and the third kids are always like (laughs) 911 it's it's chaos in here (laughs) like the first kid the first kid is like got it together you know like feel safe 
the other kids are like, I gotta fend for myself. It's so true though. There's that look like, oh my God, like big sister's going to come maul me. Like, what the yes. fuck are you doing, dad? Like, come on. Yep. Jesus. And you're Christ. like, I'm scrolling, scrolling. Give me a break. God. Anyway, Miranda, we have to let you go because we have kept you for far too long. No, this was so much fun. Um, I, I, I love the podcast. Um, I, I love how much it feels like a conversation, like an actual conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to, to have been invited on and to, to know that the experience of recording it is also just like, just like chatting with your friends. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thanks Would so you much say for that coming it's, on. Yeah. That it's, um, that it's, just a bunch of topics of conversation. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> By the you, way, <laughs> topics of conversation newly out in paperback. And I'm sure Alex has updated our bookshop page to feature it. Where you I think can I go. actually did. I think I actually yes, did. Yes. So go order topics of conversation by Miranda Popke because it is incredible. It is its very own thing. And uh, you will not be sorry. Norman Mailer chapter, museum chapter. Keep going. Who abandons her kid chapter. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just Um, every chapter. Yeah. I got to say, like, if you want to read my writing, I would suggest buying that book because unclear whether I'll ever write fiction again. But (laughs) oh, my goodness gracious. You have to come on for part two so we can talk about that. Man. Um, I, yeah, I (laughs) always looking for an excuse to like run my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) invite me back anytime Uh, yay thank you Miranda thanks Miranda thank you guys man I told uh, Ben that I was going to ask you about your dog's voice but then I realized Miranda has a dog so I you know I'm so much, uh, I'm so relieved that you asked her first because she was so fucking locked into it Mm -hmm. immediately. As she should be, man. Yeah. The dog is alive and well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think the dog like was also participating in the conversation before we even knew it. Like I think Dudley was also providing answers. We just weren't necessarily hearing them. We just watched a movie last night called, uh, shit house it was called shit house and and, uh he talks to his stuffed animal he doesn't talk to his stuffed animal but his stuffed animal like beams thoughts at him whoa i don't know this movie is it recent yeah i think it is recent it might have come out last year it's really really like small budget like duplass brothers produced Mm -hmm. Um, was it good yeah it was really good and it's funny it's about this kid um having like a, a hard homesick time in his first year of college. Oh God, too real. <laughs> it is very real, but it's, um, it's funny and cute. And like he, at times he's not all that likable and then he'll be really likable. And so. Did you ever see uh, that movie beginners, Lindsay? I don't know who's in it. Ewan McGregor's in it. And he, he's talking to like his little terrier dog the whole time. And I don't think, did we watch beginners? Just a slow shake of the head. Anyway, great movie. Lots of talking to dogs. I recommend it. I mean, I talked to Wanda like I like I mouth things to her across the room. <laughs> like I just I like we look at each other across the room and we just stare. Like she's she's 
<laughs> she's just like part of me at this point. Oh, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we got so granular with how the book came to be because we haven't really had anybody on who went into that much detail about that. I think it's so interesting that she was like, like, I think I like that she went to grad school to study fiction when she didn't even really know if she wanted to study fiction or write After working at FSG too, like after being exposed to all this stuff, I mean, and knowing how hard, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of baffling. But then the people that she ended up having in her life that were advocates for her work, I mean, you kind of can't beat them. No, Ben Marcus. Please please click. Like, give me a break. It's amazing. Yeah. I just, because I think like, for me, it was like, uh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna give this this writing thing that I've been like, farting around with, like a real yeah. shot, you know. And then like mm-hmm. getting rejected by eight grad schools, yeah. and then applying again and getting in finally. And I don't know. I only applied to one. I didn't get in, and I was like, I only want to go to that one. And then I applied again the next year and got in, mm, which is good. like, I don't know. I don't know if it's the right way to do it, but it definitely. I just was like. I think it helped me to get really fucking pissed about not getting in. And then like that year, just working, 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 and, you know, probably only nominally getting better, but enough to at least get in. When you say working, 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 were you like, you were just like disciplined and forcing, forcing yourself to write? Well, I mean, I think when I didn't get in, I realized how bad the stuff I had submitted with was. And you know, when somebody tells you no, I think it's a lot easier to then honestly reflect on it after some period of time when you're not furious anymore. Um, and yeah, I just realized like, oh, what I sent in, they weren't even really stories. They're just like sketches and they're bad. So maybe do better. I know it's, but it's like, it's hard to know that in the moment, right? It's like, yeah, it's impossible. <clears throat> I feel that way now. I feel that way to this day. I do too. I and finish writing something and I feel like it's like my thing. And then I go and read a book and I'm like, Oh, I basically just tried to write that book, but worse. Right. (laughs) It's devastating. Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard. It's really hard to know. I think that's why it is so important, whether it be having people advocate for your work for some reason, you know, whether it be related to school or to try and get you to start doing it at all, but just like that kind of, encouragement that you can give to other writers that sometimes feels so small to give, even if you're, you know, you're being completely honest, you're being open with these people, but you know, like, Hey, this is actually really good. Like it's that stuff really can, (laughs) it sounds so cliche, but it's true. It really can change someone's writing life just to have a positive voice saying, no, this is actually good. I mean, as Miranda said that over and over again in, in our interview. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about along the way, like <clears throat> things that spurred me on were always like small little like encouragements from people I respected. Yes. Absolutely. Like a drop of water in the desert, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I remember I had a, I had a turned in a story and I thought it was pretty good and it got, it got beat up in workshop. And uh, I was sitting next to, my friend Betsy, who I went to grad school with, and she just leaned over to me and she kind of like shook her head a little bit. And she's like, nah, it's beautiful. Oh and, man. And like, it's such a small thing. And 
I don't even know if she was right, but like, I remember it to this day. And you know, that kind of thing where you're like, Oh, you can really cling to that. You can really cling to that stuff. It's like someone sees it for what it is. Yeah. Or, or, and you know, even, even if they're doing it just as a gesture of like goodwill, it's like, they see that you care enough where that would matter to you to hear. I remember this dude in this like night fiction class I took before I got into grad school he wrote this story and it was called like fugue fugue or something. I had never heard that word before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like did not understand what was happening and I didn't have the vocabulary and workshop to talk about something I didn't understand. I just knew that you could say like, I don't, you know, this doesn't work for me. You know, like you could just use those like tropes. Yeah. And our professor just like stopped everyone. And he was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. And this, you know, and like just stopped everyone in their tracks and kind of like tried to talk about, and Laura Vandenberg at one point was talking about that on Twitter, or maybe she wrote about it um, <clears throat> where she said again and again and again in the workshops that she teaches the stories that people like beat up the most or that they don't understand are always the ones that um, to her like stand out. Hmm. And so like, if you're in a workshop and you're like, it just doesn't seem like people get it or or it feels like um, everybody hates it, like you should pay attention to that because mm-hmm. it's its own thing. Um, that's not to say that there aren't crappy stories out there, but you know. Sure. Um, and I think it's true for books too. Like talking about Goodreads on Twitter recently. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was just, all the books that I've really loved have a low Goodreads rating. The gen, You know, like three stars or two stars or whatever, which is, you know, not nothing, but- um, and I was talking to Ben about this. Here's a little mini Ben's corner. And he's like, yeah, man, if I see a, a book that's rated four to five stars, I think that's a red flag. And he's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so put that in your pipe and smoke it. Good reads. <clears throat> oh man. That's it. That's all we got. We tried. We definitely tried. We'll try again next week. We will. Bye. Bye, bud. I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. 